Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart. Hello and welcome to another episode of Building Sustainability. This episode, we're talking to British folk singer, Jay McAllister, better known as his stage name, Beans on Toast. Before we get into that, there's a few little bits of podcast news to talk about. Firstly, we are back and now I've got queued up for you some pretty fantastic guests. I received an email from one of our listeners who gave a great idea. And that is, uh, we're going to have a listener's question episode. So if you have a question that's maybe arisen from one of the episodes, or just something you want to know in the topic of sustainability, fire them in to me, and I am going to search out the best people to answer those questions. And uh, yeah, it'll be a completely listener-led episode. So get your questions in uh, as soon as possible. I guess probably got until mid-November. Yeah. I'm looking forward to answering some of your questions. Uh, The other thing to say is that the Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash building sustainability, is where you can support this podcast. And now, if you give £5 a month, you get a hand-carved wooden spoon. But not just one. You get one for every year that you're subscribed. Yes. Uh, so yeah, there was some people already giving five pounds. It's a, a sort of voluntary amount you can enter, and I just wanted to really say thank you to those people who have put more in. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be sending out spoons. And the other thing is that uh, as part of me making my living, uh, I sell spoons. So head on over to my Instagram page. And hopefully by the time this is released, you should be able to buy my spoons on the on the site. Well, that's Jeffrey the Natural Builder is my Instagram name. And there'll be all sorts of cooking spoons and eating spoons and teaspoons and scoops. Uh, yeah, get yourself a wooden spoon, support me. And you know what? Eating with a wooden spoon, change your life. Okay, so here's a little snippet from Beans on Toast's bio. He's a hippie, a punk, a poet, a drunk, a diehard romantic and an eternal optimist. Singing simple songs that tackle big issues. Political protest songs for the modern day. Honest and open love songs. Songs that will make you laugh, but also make you think, with no holds barred honesty and quick wit. The Guardian says, protest songs peppered with optimism. Um, how did this come about? Because uh, it seems like a slightly tangential um, guest to have. Um, well, it came about in two ways, really. One, on my bike trip, I found myself singing a song by uh, Beans on Toast. It's called Stinging Nettles. Uh, and it's all about putting your phone down, putting your computer away and getting outside into nature. And that was really what my trip was all about. I go chat more about that at the end. Um, so if you're interested, stick around after this episode. And then... During my trip, I got an email from Wibbs, who was one of the guests on this podcast, telling me about Beans on Toast doing a gig, uh, a socially distanced gig, to celebrate his new album, his new albums. And so it put it into my head. I was thinking about the music that, that Beans makes on uh, on my trip. And I thought, yeah, there is. It's a definite 
correlation. So why, what's a folk singer got to do with building sustainability? So a lot of what Beans on Toast is talking about is you know, how we've treated the world, what that's done, social issues, environmental issues. And I think it fits into this idea I've got for the podcast to be a bit more of a holistic approach to sustainability. Um, I feel that when you look at sustainability just very through a narrow sort of focus, if you, you, know, you maybe find a solution, you tend to end up creating more problems elsewhere. So I think that holistic approach seeing the whole picture is is really important so yeah and the, and the other thing was that it's so easy to get burnt out by feelings of like climate catastrophe and that you know the world's going in a terrible direction and i've seen beans on toast a few times uh, perform and i've always come out of it feeling so positive and so energized and like anything's possible and it's not life isn't so bad and i wanted to really just pass that on to you so there's loads of songs mentioned uh there's loads of artists uh authors i have put links to all of them in the show notes one big thing i should say about this uh episode is that it features a song at the end jay was uh was good enough to play us one of the the new songs from his new album um that plays out at the end of the episode that's enough of my voice uh good See you at the end. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think what I said in the, uh, the email, like, I mean, it really interests now the role of the storyteller and uh the artists in saving the world from climate catastrophe is what the email said that is quite a bold email i mean i hope i don't let you down in the next 45 minutes or however i hope you're not looking for some world saving ideas um no i'm expecting the whole world to be saved to be saved but on the form yeah. of a podcast i mean i wish you could i it's um 
instantly when I read it, my guard kind of went up. Really, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I think um, the role of the arts is certainly how I sort of consider myself. Is it, it's reactionary, isn't it? So it's commentating on what is going on. Be that for the, you know, sometimes for the detriment of the world, or sometimes for the, you know, to, to better the world. But I think. Hopefully, good art is a kind of mirror to the civilization that is creating it. Um, so, and with that in in mind, I guess that is it's it's. I don't think the role of the arts has really changed much amongst the climate catastrophe. It's always been in, an important part of civilization, and now we're in these troubled times. Uh, and art should really do what it's always done, which is one, hold a mirror up to society, also be able to like let people let loose as well i mean i choose to sing a lot of songs about you know polar ice cap melting or whatnot but that's not necessarily what the world needs all the time you know sometimes people just need a good beat to dance to or a love song to fall in love to and and then they can you know channel their energies into sort of bigger and better projects i think music should be a switch off it you know and that's the brilliant thing about both music and the arts is it can provide there's so many people doing it now more than ever as well that they can it depends what you want to get out of it that you can sort of can tap into that part of it i guess yeah totally and do you like do you see your role as commentator you said is it sort of uh an observer is it an influencer i mean it's it's weird because i try always try to not be preachy you know no one wants a song that's like you gotta do this you gotta do that but um I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I must come off preaching just because of some of the uh, sort of subject matter that I choose to, you know, um, if you if you're singing a song about t- telling people to take rubbish home for festivals and you are saying take your shit home with you, I mean that's quite preachy, isn't it? You know, but I I, I try not to. At the same time, I, I think I, I I treat my songs as if I'm talking to my friends, or and certainly you know peers rather than uh, and a, and of, of a higher position telling people what to do mm-hmm. it's more like i think we should do this guys right because or you know otherwise it's going to look like a mess or because the world's going to collapse or whatever I, i'd certainly try not to be condescending uh in in, mm-hmm. in anything but uh, and i suppose you know if i'm really honest like it's i, I get emails from people that so like, I used to be like a hardcore Tory voter or I used to be in the army and I listen to your music and, you know, I feel enlightened. And and, and I, I'm not going to lie, that feels amazing, you know, especially because it's hard to change people's minds. And that's not what I'm setting out to mm. do. But I'm, I'm not going to lie, when I get an email like that, I feel like, oh, wow, you know, it gets, certainly gives me the kind of drive I need to to keep on doing it. Um, but I, I, again, I don't, I'd say if, if minds get changed during the process of what I'm doing, I'll take it as a win, but it's certainly not what I'm setting out to, to do. It's not yeah. like I'm out here and I think, one, I don't think I'm right. And I don't think I've got any of the answers either. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but if there's a couple of wins along the way, then I'll take them for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think uh, definitely the, the tone in which uh, your music is, is, presented it's you know it's very much like a a sort of heart to heart with a mate uh i certainly like it's weird i was thinking about this earlier like it feels like like you're my mate telling me 
nice stuff and sometimes horrible right. stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's like hard to hear stuff. Uh, I think it's a very effective way of like cutting through all the... Yeah, and I, I, it's kind of, um, and it's great that you say that, and, and it almost me just explaining what I do, I never set out to, to do that. It's, you know, I've, I've been doing it so long that I've kind of realised in hindsight what it is I'm doing, and through kind of mediums like this, I sort of ended up talking, you know, I never really thought about it, I just did it, and then in, in hindsight it's like, why are you doing this? So I've put it under a microscope, and of kind of, I don't know, real, which has come in sort of lockdown. It, I kind of put myself under a microscope more than ever with the instantly when it was like back in March, which feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? <laughs> Certainly does. Um, yeah. The, uh, when it was like it all, you know, everything started happening really quickly. And there was, you know, like the supermarkets were running out of food or toilet roll or whatever. And it was like everything was changing. And instantly, straight away, I, I picked up my guitar and wrote a song about it. And and then I was like really driven to release it as, as soon as possible. And I've always, it's weird because I've always written about current events i think i wanted to release it because i knew that it was only going to last for a very short amount of time it was only going to be current mm. for a really minuscule amount of time and if it after that it was going to be kind of useless and i've always written about current events and i've always written a lot and been able to release quite quickly i mean an, an album a year is what i do generally and that is mm -hmm. you know certainly five years ago that was enough time to talk about the political landscape if you know what i mean or the world as you saw it and songs would still be in date if you wrote them in june in december and the last couple mm -hmm. of years it's things have sped up like even writing about brexit in june for an album that was going to come out in december i mean it was just it was out the window it was just factually incorrect all of a sudden because things <laughs> <laughs> have changed so fast and so i just kind of i think with that and knowing that you know then when the world really started speeding up and i i really wanted to write about it and i really wanted to release and, and the day that the song come out i was like why did i do why was my knee-jerk reaction to you know put it together in some sloppy rhymes over the same chords and make a video and, and then sort of you know ultimately put some money behind a facebook post to try and get people to hear it what we, you know and i was i had this i don't know it was just because it was locked down i was smoking a bit more weed than i usually do so i had a bit of an existential like why 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 do i do what i do and i still didn't come out of any ideas but at the same time a lot of people wrote back and said oh it was nice to hear that song in so quickly while it was still fresh and i think it was also i continued doing it throughout lockdown writing recording releasing on a really quick time and i was right that all of the songs went out of date like i've done a mm. few gigs recently and i can't play i can't get up there and go there's no toilet rolls on the shelves because everyone's like well, yeah, it was only four or five months ago but it feels like a lifetime ago no one wants to hear a song about it anymore so. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I've, I listened back to them today and I was, I mean, they're, they're perfect little snapshots of, as you say, like a rapidly changing part of our history. Mm. And like, you know, it took me right back to, I, you know, I went shopping uh, just before lockdown was kicking off and, you know, there was absolutely nothing on the, on the shelves. And uh, I ended up with two bottles of whiskey and a, a tub of peanut butter. And that was my, that was my panic buy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was set for lockdown. Uh, yeah, like it just transported me back to that that very strange moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to think that 
you know, in the years to come, I could probably people could probably look back at them. I'm glad that it's happened. And now what's happened is I've actually I've made a full album of ten songs that were written in lockdown. But at the same time, I've written another album that has nothing to do with it that I would have written and released anyway because I just think mm. I think it's important that I get out my snapshot of the year. But I also not don't necessarily like I think I've played a few socially distanced gigs and whatnot like I said and I get up and it's like I look at the crowd it's like I'm not gonna sing about fucking lockdown on everybody's first day out of the house like for god's <laughs> sake so you know just kind of moving moving swiftly on sort of vibe um but yeah it's nice to I, I, I guess hindsight might be a nice thing I don't think anybody's really gonna look back on the pandemic fondly you know <laughs> unless things get worse and worse and worse yeah 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 that is the glory definitely... days of 2020 <laughs> well you know i mean i did enjoy having a couple of months to sit at home and read all the books that i'd uh you know There's, missed out on yeah and... I've, i mean i've you know i've got a two-year-old daughter so parenting has been amazing you know and mm. without any of the distractions that were there it's really like you know trying to make her world feel big when all of the things that the sort of normal be it like a ball pit or a swimming pool or anything you know they're not there so you know we went straight to the woods and we spent all summer in the woods it was like and i think we definitely learned you know me and my daughter learned a lot of lessons about how to entertain each other which you know will keep obviously there's some you know lessons to be learned and some beauty amongst the tragedy but it's hard to talk about it because you know that it's so devastating for so much of the world um and yeah you don't it sort of discounts it a little bit by being sort of like oh i'm fine i got deliveroo and fucking amazon prime and whatnot and it's like that's um, you know i don't know it sort of hits a bit hard doesn't it yeah 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 definitely like do you um I don't know. Do you feel like a responsibility for highlighting issues? No. Um, I mean, I do, but only to, I guess, a responsibility to the songs and and to myself. I don't feel that um, there's that whole sort of like, is it an artist's duty to, you know, sing about the the, the saving of the world or whatnot? And I I don't think... um, no, I don't think it's anybody's duty to do anything in the arts. I think, and I think that's a very uncreative place to put anybody. If it's like, mm-hmm. it's your duty yeah. to say this or do this or act this way, is that you're going to get some awful, you know, books, plays, and songs out, out of that. <laughs> um, so no, I don't. I mean, I feel um, certainly ne- there's there's songs that I wrote on my first album, for example, that I would never write now. And uh, I, I don't I don't perform now because, you know, because I've grown and, and the world's changed, you know, for the better. Um, mm-hmm. And and I if I do have sort of responsibility for my songs and for the, sort of how I hold myself, it's more of a, a personal thing than me feeling the kind of. I, don't know, I need to behave in a certain way because of the world at large or whatever. But certainly when I began, I didn't have any responsibility for anybody. And that was like my whole get up. (laughs) That was, you know, that was why people came to the gigs, because it was the guy that looked like he didn't give a fuck, you know, and he actually didn't. (laughs) So like, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, you've you've obviously developed and grown over that 
the time uh since you know first album and and the, the sort of irresponsible days yeah like what are the what have been like the big uh turning points i guess like big moments of realization or it's definitely been a slow evolution i mean it with, with throughout my music the thing i'm more proud of than how much i've grown or changed is how consistent i've been you know <laughs> i've effectively been writing the same song for you know 12 years well longer probably 15 but 12 years i've been releasing them and uh and, and i've just kind of if anything i've learned to delegate more like now i write the song and i get much better musicians in a much better studio and i just let them do what they do and now i very there's i just take my guitar out of the mix and it's like wow it sounds incredible <laughs> like um and so i've kind of learned that as that aspect to it but um yeah, I think my, the, yeah, I'm definitely sort of more proud of, of my consistency. And, and I th- I'd like to think my songwriting's got better in the way that if you do anything for 13 years, you know, it, it, it should get better. But then sometimes, you know, there's a naivety with early stuff that, that can't be matched. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, again, I mean, even with the kind of, of the last sort of like, since I got to the kind of level I'm at now, there's something in music where, you're always expected for the next thing to be bigger or better, which I think mm-hmm. is a real detriment to it. And it's like, if you, like, if you meet, if you've got your guitar on a train and you meet a stranger and they're like, oh, what, you know, so I'm a songwriter, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, I've never heard of you. Or, oh, are you going to be like a big star? And it's, I've always kind of gone for that angle of like, you know, if I can make enough money to get by, you know, this is the best job I've ever had by a long shot. Like, and it doesn't, mm-hmm. and it was long when I realized when it started paying the rent, it was like, I don't need these venues to get bigger or sell more tickets or even sell more hours. I mean, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't turn my nose up at that, but I'm, you know, this works and I'd rather work hard to sustain that, to go back to the same venues at the same time of a year, you know, it's so regular with my working of it now that it's the whole thing is a tradition. So I go back to the mm-hmm. same venues at the same time and I love it. I literally love it. And I can fill them venues up now. I've got a good relationship with the promoters. It works. And we've kind of like trimmed around the sides of that to make it last longer rather than, I think there was, you know, four or five years ago, this could have been where it's like something exploded and it was like, oh, it's a viral success or something. And then it was like, sh- shoot back down and you'd have to kind of clamber back down the ladder or something like that. And it's been, mm-hmm. so again, that sign of consistency which has just worked for me. It works for my music and the way that I kind of like to tour, basically. Yeah, I like that because it's, uh, you know, in sort of economics and stuff like that, you know, there's always this drive for constant growth. And, you know, if you're not growing, then you're failing. Uh, And so, yeah, that's to go sort of anti that or... Yeah, it's crazy. It just seems like, why? You know, if something's good, I think it's worth maintaining, you know, what, what you like about it. And uh, yeah, you know, and it's, it's it's worked for me. Long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's nice, yeah, nice to recognise also that you're in a good place. And you know, like we're always sold more products. We're sold more. You know, your life will be better when you get this. When you achieve that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, com- in comparison to some other what, jobs that I've done in my life you know like it's like what uh, i mean i grew up in essex and i worked i used to work for a temping factory agency so i'd work in a different factory for a couple of weeks and i moved so anything from 
bubble wrap factory. I worked cutting strips of bubble wrap for nine hours a day. I worked a lot in the postal, oh. like uh, big posted sorting offices and stuff like that. Putting lids on bottles of vodka all oh. day, nine hour shifts. I worked the bins oh. once. I did the uh, two, uh, one day actually. I wasn't really cut out for the uh, <laughs> the, the dust cart, but I did. I, I did one day um, on that. And, uh, yeah, you know, and that was, you know, that's kind of what I sort of always see as a reality yeah. of what could still happen. So if, <laughs> get, if I feel like a gig's not going well, it's just, I just transport myself back to the factory. Start twiddling the... Yeah, start putting that. Uh, yeah, see, I, t- I put so many lids on. I learned, I t- got a job where I could take them off instead, <laughs> switch it around. And I've, and I've definitely, I've undone more than I've done up now in my time. I've passed... I'm past that threshold. <laughs> there was one good thing about that working at the that agency was because I'd been there a while, and the kind of guys that run the agency trusted in me. I could get fired from one job, knowing full well I'd have work the next day. So I did some amazing "fuck you, man, I don't need your job." Like I got fired. I was in the bubble wrap factory. I actually climbed into a box of bubble wrap. I just put my head out and just went to sleep, sound asleep. And the guy came and like, and my mate who was working in there watched the whole thing. And the guy just stood staring at me for like two whole minutes waiting for me to wake up. And when he realized I didn't, he just started kicking the box, like, get out of here. And it's just, I stood up and walked out and just went straight into work the next day at a different factory. So there was, you know, there's, there's beauty everywhere. If you look yeah. for it. <laughs> um, one of the uh, the things I said this in my email, like what well, I've seen you perform like a handful of times, and I've always come away feeling like energized and positive, even when like some of the songs you're singing are about some like I don't know dark the, shit, yeah, dark shit, yeah, like all the fuck ups we've made as society. Like, how do you how do you like find that balance? We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. I think that's how I feel as a, as a human. You know, like I really, like I said, I really enjoy my life. I, you know, I love my family and I have on a, the day to day, I have, you know, a great time. Uh, but, you know, the but the world around is, you know, it just feels like we're in the, at the end of days. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm certainly kind of getting sad or even getting angry about the end of days doesn't really... I don't see that being any kind of fix for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think, you know, skipping around, clapping your hands is a fix for it either. But, um, uh, you know, it seems... I don't know, it's how it's the only way I can really contribute to it. I'm happy to talk about it, to discuss it in my songs and bring it up as as a subject. But again, I've written songs that, that don't have like a happy ending. 
And no, no one wants to hear them. I don't want to sing them. You know, it's just like, what's the fucking point? People, if people want, you know, if you want to hear bad news, you can see, you can see the news, you know, like, and that's already designed for that. And that's fucking everywhere. So it's like, I also think like amongst the kind of, um, even amongst the kind of environmental sort of side or the, or the sort of hippies and whatnot, there seems to be a kind of, like a sort of narrative that we're like a sort of a dredge of the earth or that we're kind of humans are like a we're ruining this planet with like a virus eating it away and it's like it just feels like a really wasted world view it's like what the fuck is the point then you know like you're discounting a lot of really beautiful things if you see mm-hmm. you know it's just kind of shitting on yourself as well isn't it? it's like you know humans have done i mean yeah we're in a bad place but you know we're, we're fucking amazing as a you know as a race. we've done so much incredible stuff and i also think it's part of the way the world works at the moment is just like bad news getting thrown around left right and center and it's just not productive at all so as much as i live in that world you know and like i said i'm not i don't i've got no answers but i'm certainly not i'm not gonna let it ruin my day because Mm. if if it was like thinking if i thought that being sad or angry about it would help it then i'd give it a try but you know if (laughs) i think this is the best way i can help like the the last album in particular seemed uh, I should probably tell people where it is for people that don't know. The Inevitable Trainwreck. Uh, yeah. Seemed particularly uh, heavy on, you know, climate, uh, capitalism, greed, you know, big topics like that. Was that... Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you, do you feel like that is... What's my question there? <laughs> uh, well, I could talk about it, happily. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that then. <laughs> I mean, the the way that came about was the record before that, um, an album called Bird in My Hand, a Bird in the Hand, was written. It was, my daughter was born, basically, and the the whole world vanished, you know. And it was just me and my family. I wrote the album in the bubble when we was just here at home. We'd come back, and I didn't give a fuck about anything else, you know. Mm. And it was a really beautiful time. And I wrote all these songs about it. And I didn't, there was no, I didn't talk about the world at all. I spoke about, it was very personal, a very sort of introspective album. And it was good for that. But I, at the same time, it was like, you know, I knew that Trump was happening. And, you know, it was like, there was, the outside, I knew that shit was going on. And I come out from that album and was like, I need to, you know, I need to now stop singing about how much I love my daughter and start singing about, you know, what's going on in the world and, you know, wanted to say something about the world and all the songs that I wrote, as we, as we spoke about, they was all, you know, c- cynical. It was very unlike me, but they was, I couldn't find any, you know, anything particularly hopeful to write about. So I wrote the songs and then I was like, well, if I can't do it lyrically, I'll have to do it musically. So then rather than going down my usual kind of folk route, musically i went to my friends who are in a great rock and roll band and have a vintage studio and i was like i need to sing these songs over the top of really upbeat classic 60s style rock and roll i need you to be happy so i could be depressing basically but <laughs> like just and that to was flat out. yeah and that was and then it was like kind of like a concept album almost just once and once i had that idea i was like fuck it, we can talk about, you know, the war between the rich and the poor and we can talk about 
like AI takeover. And, and then I got really stuck into a lot of the stuff that I wanted to talk about, but I'd never been able to find a way of putting it into song because it needed a kind of hopeful angle. And then I just, amongst it all, I, you know, I wrote one song, which was kind of, well, very much inspired by the Fridays, uh, Fridays for Future uh, movement and all the kind of child protests and whatnot. So I, I wrote a song about that to finish the album off because I found if you, with a song, if you're going to have a depressing song, always have a little, it'll be all right at the end. So I just <laughs> did that as the album. So the whole album kind of deals with all of the nonsense, all the sort of bad shit that's going on there at the end, just kind of flick up. Yeah. And then, and to be honest, I came out of that out record and was like, I'd kind of depressed myself and I was like, I'm not going to write another album about the end of the world and mm-hmm. then fucking Corona hits. So and then like, the end of the world. What yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? So you've written like about Corona. So you got your one album. Like what's the, how have you sort of seen past all that, you know, all the dark shit uh, for, for your other album? Well, it's not, it's a pretty dark album again, to be honest. Um, there's, you know, there's, the, the the nicer songs on it, there's I guess there's two uplift actually no, there's three uplifting songs. One of them's called which is already out, it's called Human Contact and it's uh um you know about won't it be great when we get to go to festivals again kind of vibe and like and also I think like the reality of what we took for granted, I think, is quite important, yeah. you know, because we have to learn lessons from this. So that kind of, I don't think anybody really, I never considered human contact being such an important thing, you know, until it was taken away. And I realised how much, and I, you know, and I was still in a position, like I said, I've got young family and, you know, there's a lot of contact here, but it's different from, you know, just being even on a tube mm-hmm. train or whatever you know and just having that then people around so there's one song about that which is kind of positive and then uh, there's a love song which again is very self-reflective about what was going on in our house and then the last song on the album um what is it was kind of naively about coming out of lockdown <laughs> oh yeah when uh, and <laughs> look forward uh, to that yeah <laughs> And uh, so it was kind of, you know, and the vibe was just, it's called Patience and it's just, you know, about, yeah, trying to be patient basically and, and understanding that everyone's had a weird year, you know. Um, I think that's important, you know, like it's easy. It's just going to be a fragile world. It, as, as we spoke about, it was always fragile and even just on that more person-to-person you know, level, I think it's going to be really fragile. So there was just trying to be, trying to just, you know, talk about that in a kind of positive way. Like, um, yeah, but ultimately the album isn't, is not the happiest of Beatles on the records. But the other record is all about, it's like, a, it's called Knee Deep in Nostalgia. And one, it's done as a kind of full band production. Mm. So it was produced by Frank Turner, nice. the folk punk superstar. And uh, he's an old friend, and we planned to do the record anyway. We'd uh, we'd have that was always the plan. But I just went to his house and recorded the songs to a click track, and then left them with him. And he worked on lockdown, creating an amazing arrangement of music around my songs. And then I went back. I went back and sung over the top of them. Um, and that is lyrically. It comes out on my fortieth birthday. So the the idea of the album was always a loose loose concept to be kind of like sort of autobiographical like there's a song about um the village i grew up in there's a song about my favorite teacher at school about my 20s in camden and 
kind of yeah well it's called knee deep in nostalgia so it's very much kind of but it's all super upbeat really fun nothing to do with the pandemic or climate change or any of that it's like uh, so hopefully there's a, a nice companion piece to the other album as well. Yeah, the um, the track that uh, what was it called? Hang on. Oh, I should have known this. No need to be frightened. That comes with the when you get the album. Yes, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Just... Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's. Uh, um, I wrote, actually wrote that for um, Halloween last year. I played at Boomtown, did a Halloween party in their Area 404 remember, yeah. nightclub thing that they've got in Bristol. And uh, I was like, I can't, but I was sort of, I was like, how come I haven't got a song about Halloween? So and I, I sort of wrote it and it was originally, it was supposed to be a bit of a party song. And then when I got, I played it really fast at the party, like, oh, making everybody do wolf howls and stuff. <laughs> and then uh, once under, under a bit closer sort of scrutiny, it was like, oh, that's actually quite a sweet song. I'll just slow it down and play it like that. But. Yeah. I, yeah, it's a charming little number. Oh, great! Thank you. Well, thanks for thanks for pre-ordering the album. Wow. Available for all listeners now to pre-order with your free MP3 download. Right? Wow, very professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got one. I guess. Oh, yeah, it goes back to sort of following on from your your last album, and that is: Do you have hope? Like, do you feel like we can actually? solve this this problem that we're we're in yes i do um i think human beings are you know we can adapt as we've as we've found out i mean i know the kind of um it's nice to think that you know corona's happened and it's like oh what a great time to fix all of the other problems in the world but unfortunately and i think i believed that early on oh yeah but i don't yeah (laughs) But I don't think that's what's going to happen now. Um, uh, but I think we will. I mean, maybe it just uh, with kind of, you know, Trump and populism and nationalism and all that. Maybe it is a case of things need to get really bad before they can get worse. You know, and it's like pulling a plaster off slowly. Um, also, I think and again, another thing which I think pandemic has really shown is that like you don't you never know what's going to happen mm. you know be it a scientific breakthrough or uh a, you know or a sort of world shattering disease you know i think the and obviously we should plan for the future but you know you just never know what's going to happen and if, if anything i think i find my hope in that mystery i mean still, maybe it's just too optimistic that something's <laughs> literally gonna you know fall from the sky and solve our problems but um I, you know i it's like on a smaller level it's like there's obviously a massive conversation about uh music venues and musicians and stuff being able to survive financially through the pandemic and it's like and and not discrediting any of the work anybody's done or the kind of realities around that but another reality is people are never going to stop making music like or listening to it and reacting to it. Like it's, it's crazy to even think that, I mean, it'd be, you know, it's a shame that our government doesn't put in place things to help us, but it's not a massive surprise either. Um, And I, I think in the same way, I think that obviously there's massive, you know, it look, it, at the moment it feels like anything you look at closely enough, 
means death and destruction. You know, if it's the clothes that you wear or the way that you travel or anything under it, you know, you trace it back and someone's, you know, being abused to get it there and it's killing the planet. And it's uh, it, it just seems insane, you know, and that something's got to give. And, and and I doubt it'll be pretty when it does, but I, but I still think we'll be able to get through the other side of it in, you know, in, in some form or other. I mean, the sad truth is that all there's, you know, the intelligence and the technology to solve all of our problems are, are out there. I, mm-hmm. I truthfully believe that. It's just all in the all in the wrong hands. Yes. Like, and that surely there's hope in that because it's like, well, they just need to putting it in the right hands can't be that hard, you know, for a <laughs> For a couple of, you know, a couple of generations. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> My mate was uh, was on a cycle trip through Wales and uh, some uh, some guy sort of pulled up next to him and he was, you know, all lycra clad. Uh, and he started talking to him and, you know, they cycled for a couple of miles together. And this guy turned out to be uh, like an investment, uh, a hedge fund manager. Mm-hmm. Or, and, uh, and he said, God, it's such a shame that all the smartest people are just working in my industry to make more money like imagine if we if we put them on like something worthwhile yeah and there's there's also i think there's certainly with with politics i think the people that could really do different on high level politics and the sort of smartest people know not to get into that anyway like because it's going to be so disruptive for you know your life or the well-being there's probably like the the absolute geniuses that could you know put something player just like you know <laughs> try and do it you know be mad to go down that route just because of the scrutiny almost yeah um but yeah i mean that's kind of yeah i, I i'm not sure whether the cleverest minds are working as investment bankers no. but i see his point yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, have you seen the uh, the David Attenborough thing on uh, on Netflix? Yeah, no, no. I've seen the BBC ones. Okay. Um, to be honest, I think I. St- I mean, obviously, he. You know, it, he's the perfect person to deliver the message, mm. uh, Attenborough. You know, like talk about credentials. You know, and trust. Everybody loves David Attenborough. Yeah. In fact, Attenborough said. Um, in an interview a long time ago, about he was asked about Trump, and he was like, "Maybe someone should just kill him." <laughs> and like, what a way! And imagine if Attenborough did it as like just as his swan song. It's just I've not got long left anyway. Yeah, I'm just going to go in, take one for the team, Let's take out, out Trump, yeah, and <laughs> take out Trump, and then he's locked up. Imagine, imagine him being imprisoned, Attenborough, for killing Trump. It'd be, it'd be like the hopeful end to the cartoon hellhole that we're in. <laughs> um, but I, I, no, is the is the truth? I haven't watched the uh, the. Is there anything? I mean, I feel like I kind of know what it was going to say yeah i mean the first half is utterly devastating uh just sort of you know tracking through everything that we've done and uh all the things that we've destroyed and then Mm. uh, and then there's some bits of hope uh, and it sort of looks into the future but i think the the thing that struck me was he he sort of talks about you know for the next uh 20 years 50 years 100 years you know what the, the sort of changes would be very much in a like you know the temperature's going to rise by this much the sea's going to change by this much and then he sort of says mass displacement of people 
and then carries yeah. on to the next bit. And it felt to me like he was missing a very important step in that mass displacement of people means all of those like uh, defensive racisms. And, you know, if everyone's got to come over to our country because it's not underwater yet or not too mm. hot, then, you know, wars break out. And so it, it sort of seemed to skirt around like a very big issue of like all- around it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I wonder why. I wonder whether that was deliberate. Um, I mean, it's probably, it's like, it's like, you know, it's a lot to stomach, isn't it? And like you said, it's, and, and I think sometimes probably trying to sort of know their audience a little bit. It's like, if you start getting into that, if it depends who you're trying to talk to, if you're talking to, you know, the sort of liberal open-minded people, then I, I guess that's not the target audience as to far as we go. Oh, it's just an immigration thing. I don't want to hear about immigration. I'm turning it off sort of thing rather than it's like, well, it's like, you know, everything is, you know, is linked and, you know, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to happen. I mean, that element of it, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. Be a lot of moving. Well, I think the reason I brought that up was like, that was the, you know, the, the big catalyst, I think that, you know, we will, it seems to me like we're going to head down this same route, uh, you know, profit over over people over the the planet, until something massive like that happens. And I think I think that's it, isn't it? It's easy to talk. It's you know, it's easy to say I'm going to fly less because I care about the environment. And then if it when Corona happened, it's like if you're going to fly now, you're going to die, and everybody just stopped flying. And it's like. You could have done it, you know. <laughs> you just chose not to because you was willing to, because it is, and it, it's obviously kind of, and you can't kind of, you know, I've, you know, I've done my, more than my fair share, fair share of fly. I fly around the world to sing environmental songs mm-hmm. to people, you know. The, uh, um, the, you kind of can't really knock people for doing that because that is the system that we know. You know, that's how it's sort of always been. So and it is kind of unpicking it in a way. But, yeah, I think the, yeah, everybody will change when, you know, when the shit knocks on their door and mm-hmm. says, I'm here. And it's like, well, now we need to adapt. And I think that's probably the harsh truth of when whatever that kind of, you know, penny drop moment will be for. And obviously it's not for humanity because a lot of people are feeling the effects, in, you know, right right now, you know, and have been for a, for a long time. But I guess of the, you know, the more powerful, you know, sort of nations and states of the world when it, and again, they're feeling it now, but when it's like adapt, mm-hmm. you know. Don't know, maybe it'd be kind of Noah's Ark as well, wouldn't it? It's like, not that I'm a religious man. <laughs> you just love big boats. <laughs> I just, well, just a, a rising waters and a kind of just a few left over. Or I mean, it's it's like I don't know. A lot, a lot of shit in films has come true, isn't it? You know, and it's just like I think I'm definitely going to be like in the sewers, you know, with like ripped jeans, listening to heavy rock, like like sort of with like hackers in the corner, laptop. Damn, we're going to hack the mainframe for the big guys. Like I'll definitely be. I'll be head to that bit. That's that's how you see your future. I think that's how the future is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess um, can this is a yeah. You know, we're going into sort of big questions. I guess. Uh, do you think that sustainability and or like a sustainable planet and capitalism can coexist? Uh, I mean, I think capitalism is probably sort of 
the reason that all of the everything's fucked basically uh so i think sustainability is one of the keys to you know unlocking it mm-hmm. and 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 i think there's certainly methods within capitalism that's used that will need to be used in you know in a kind of idealistic utopia yeah. um you know where everything's sustainable and, and and you know and there's sort of peace um and and going back to the sort of hope hopeful thing, I think it's it's things like sustainability and the kind you know has come so far within my lifetime, uh, so far. Like when I was at school, like there's like we had little environmental issues. I used to think if you pull when you had a can, you know, four things of beer, four cans of beer, and if you took the plastic off, you ripped the plastic in half so it didn't harm a bird before mm-hmm. you threw it into the, you know, away. And it was like, and that was like the eco warrior, you know, it's like, oh, it just, and, 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 he, and like dispose, like we were sold plastic lighters as these are disposable lighters, you know, this is, and it's like, it's not, you know, that's a fucking indestructible lighter. That's not disposable at all. And someone must have known, but I think now more people, you know, People do know. I think it is, like I said, it, it's coming closer to the knocking on the door and the uh, and the the fight back is. And I think because of the way the world works and there's so much bad news, it's easy to look at that. But you have to celebrate how far the mindset towards a sustainable planet has come, mm-hmm. you know, and how many uh, it is. It, it, it's a kind of, you know, a household topic now, as well as some of, I'm sure, the greatest minds right now the youngest and brightest minds for the future aren't thinking about investment banking. You know, they are thinking about, you know, sustainability and the future of the planet and whatnot. So I think it will, I think it can, you know, hopefully sustainability will unpick capitalism Mm -hmm. and use what, use parts of it uh, in order to create, you know, like, I don't know what would the new kind of societal form be. Just so cool. maybe it just needs a name. That's that's it. <laughs> what have you got? It's just, Come on. Just, <laughs> leave it with me. We'll work it out. <laughs> you can put it as the name of the podcast. Yeah, and then exactly. Be like, yeah, invented. It just needed. Just give it a name, and then people can get behind it. Maybe a, a name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, was, I mean, what caused me to, to ask you that question was uh, I saw on the news this morning that the oil companies are having to freeze the ground around their oil pipes uh, because they need the ground to be frozen uh, for the, the pipes to, to get the gas out and whatever. But it's all thawed out because of climate because change. Because of them. Yeah. So oh my God. putting more energy in to freezing, refreezing the ground. So, uh, uh, I mean, the people that are making these decisions, like, I find it really hard to imagine people being that evil. Like, I can see how bad things happen through kind of like loads of middle management and like, you know, sort of making sort of like pretty rubbish decisions, but being able to shift the blame around. And I can see how a sort of faceless company does something really horrible under the guise. But I can't see how people i just can't fathom someone being that you know greedy or that's pure evil and just stupid as well it's like oh, i've got a problem it's like you know we, you know how we're melting the ice caps yeah that's fucking up the plants it's like well what do we do like that we could freeze it do that then like, 
Do you think they thought it was a good idea? Or did, I mean, even it's surely it's just bad press yeah. as well. You just think like surely there's got to be another way around. Like stop taking the fucking oil or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I my sort of follow-on thought to that was that. Uh, well, as as long as there's that demand, as long as people are still using their cars or as long as governments haven't, like, you know, put something in place, then they're going to, you know, they maybe they feel like they're doing a service by making sure that oil gets out of the ground. It's just a way of not taking any responsibility, isn't it? I think it, well, it goes both ways. I mean, you could change the, your, your kind of lifestyles, but it's it should be from, you know, it should be changed at the top. Mm. Really, if you want change to happen, you know, and you're just like, well, you can't. You, by the way, if you've if you've melted all the ice around you, around, <laughs> you can't refreeze it just so you can get more oil out. I'm afraid, um, but they're you know they're not answerable to anybody. These people are they? No, apart from money. Mm. So. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, fuck them indeed. <laughs> um, I did. Uh, I I realised that. That you you've always been like fighting the good fight. I've enjoyed that, uh, and uh, I was thinking back to like, I lived in London a few mm, five years ago, and then I saw you a couple of times in quick succession. And one was at the Green Party party, which was great. Okay. Yeah, yes, at the Monarch in Camden. A, yeah, a very very fun evening. And then uh, and yeah. then it was when was the other one? Somewhere in Hackney Wick. Uh, it was something for for Calais calais support oh yes yeah it was it was uh for continental drifts a kind of um i can't remember the ins and outs of it but i remember buying a piece of artwork done by refugee it was like they had a refugee art exhibition from child uh, kids living in calais and the money went straight back to the artists yeah yeah i don't i haven't really got a question in that but i guess uh i just wanted to say you know well done for like being on the being on the right side yeah man it's i mean it's uh it's good that people call me up for them kind of gigs as well. You know, I guess it's kind of, it, it's sort of putting it out there and, uh, you know, a, a being available and kind of, do you know, when, you know, a lot of the stuff I get, people are, are doing something for a good cause and they feel like it's something that I'd, you know, I'd also believe in, which, and that kind of, you know, it works both ways because, you know, I love gigging and getting out there and playing to mm-hmm. new people. So, nice. yes, it works. I'd love to do some of them gigs now. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, well, speaking of gigs, like what, like you've got one coming up, hopefully, maybe. Yes. Who knows at the moment? I mean, the, the Clapham Grand, which is where it's booked is, is run by a very dear friend of mine. Uh, we worked together for years and, uh, he's definitely leading the way as far as socially distant um you know sort of covid friendly one-way system table service anti-back gigs mm-hmm. um and i like i i've done a I've, i did a live stream there in the middle of all the lockdown and they had full kind of tv crew set up so they got all that right and then we actually did a government pilot scheme there because um someone had to do the first gig i think actually the first gig post lockdown was beverly night at the london palladium right. and the second was me and frank turner at uh clap and grand and, and to be honest they kind of um that that was done to prove that it couldn't work you know they set out these rules and regulations it was like can gigs work like this and we did one and said no, you know, it's financially unviable and just doesn't work. And that was the point of doing it. But because of that, he's 
don't know, he's built up a very good thing there. It's a you know, 120-year-old musical, really beautiful building. And he just managed to... He was the first to open and he's still open now doing a lot more comedy than, you know, stuff that works to seated audiences. Mm-hmm. But um, the album launch, you know, I would have... I don't know where the album launch would have been, you know, but it would there would normally be a tour and all sorts, but it's my 40th birthday as well. So if, you know, if we can't do the gig, it will be live streamed mm-hmm. and we'll, you know, so there'll be an online gig, but the gig, you know, the gig is sold out and hopefully people will be able to come in a safe, friendly manner and I will be able to, you know, do a proper gig. And, and in all fairness, I have done quite a lot of gigs already yeah there was a kind of in between lockdowns when there was the rule of six and you could sit on a, a pub bench um for the case of course of like then three weeks i had loads of gigs because there's quite um it's quite a niche isn't it if you want to sell booze put on live music and people have got to sit down there's not much music for that but i fit that perfectly <laughs> so the phone the phone just kept ringing and i was like yeah great so i, pay, I played at um a sheep farm in Devon nice. where they like mowed little circles in the grass and then like six people per circle. And in like a, um, the car park of a venue called the attic in Bristol, which I played loads and like a, um, a, like a botanical gardens in Nottingham and stuff with people on hay bales. So there was, you know, and I think it was a lot of people getting in gigs while they could before, you know, winter came and like indoor gigs is a different, but there's, you know, there's still gigs in that there's gigs that are there if i want them that haven't been announced it just we need to see how things pan out Mm -hmm. basically but as and when you know it's safe and i'm allowed i'll you know you just try and stop me (laughs) (laughs) what's um like what are the gigs like uh is there a a massive loss of atmosphere for people not really there's a kind of like there's there's a few sort of new things uh one of them being certainly the first ones there's like a new role been existed where it's like the the anti-compare right because like someone goes on in between all the bands and it's like please stay seated no singing <laughs> along if like, drinks will come to your table and they're kind of ultimately trying to calm the crowd down yeah which i thought you know and it's like talking to the people that were running it normally their job is like everybody get up put your hands together like yeah and uh and it's like it, could, it really takes the wind out of people having to do it they're like i said look i could keep them i could keep my crowd sat down you don't have to you don't have to de-hype me i've got this covered yeah. <laughs> i could de-hype myself basically. yeah I'll, go, I'll keep them sat down they won't be singing along anyway don't you worry about that um and and the other thing is there's normally like an element of um you know trying to keep your your crowd kind of entertained and attentive is kind of part of the art almost and you know obviously sometimes you lose crowds but i found in these things you lose a bubble right (laughs) you know like if you can you can sort of be looking out at your sort of car park full of pub benches and if one of them's got like a chatter on it or someone's got something fun to say you don't you don't lose you like bang the whole table's gone and they're in deep discussion about something <laughs> and it's hard then to get them and so there's like a new formula almost of how a crowd works which is fascinating you know <laughs> i just i had to you know had to pull up a few tables and be like normally i would have been like right you go and sit over there but that's not even allowed <laughs> are you getting like you no. know all uh, school teacher on them I'm always a bit like that, you know, like it, it, within the kind of, you know, like within the jovial spirit of it all. I'm never having a go at anyone, but I've, I've got as much as, you know, I, 
I'm not one of them singers that d- demands a quiet crowd or expects that. My gigs are always really lively and, and kind of chatty. But um, at the same time, if, you know, I also tell people to shut the fuck up when, when that's needed. Yeah. You know, or confiscate <laughs> a telephone here and there. You know? <laughs> nice. Um, I guess like, I wanted to return a little bit to, to storytellers and, mm-hmm. uh, and thinking about that. So I, the, I was listening to your Spotify playlist, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, what was it called? The Long Drive Home, something like that. Okay, great, yeah. And there was a couple of songs on there that, uh, like, totally floored me. Um, it's, uh, uh, what's her name? Not a, someone Williams? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Holly Williams. Holly Williams. That song. Yeah. Hank Williams' granddaughter. I thought it might be, because I was listening yeah. to her album, she said, uh, you know, I, traveled over to this coast of america with a famous name i was like oh williams yeah um yeah that waiting on june track yeah incredible song utterly floored me like the the storytelling in that it's a whole life isn't it it's like literally someone's whole life handed to you in three minutes with all the emotion that you would imagine yeah in a life like channeled yeah channeled down uh, I heard that I, it's not very often I listen to the radio at all but I heard that live on Bob Harris on Radio 2 dri- actually driving back from um uh from my wife's parents house and the same thing yeah it was like I didn't know who it was or if I turned it on because it's a long song mm. as well but it keeps you there throughout yeah and it is like it's someone's and it's because it's the life it's her granddad isn't yes. it she tells the life yeah. of, of of her granddad and and uh and uh, yeah, what a, you know, what a, a magical thing to be able to do. God, yeah. I, I, when I listened to it back, I didn't even make it through the first verse before I was having a little, <laughs> little weep. Like just, oh. And it's great. It's that good cry, isn't it? It's like that hat, sort of like emotional, happy cry. Mm. Like you, like that sort of. I don't know. It's really life affirming. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess my my question following on from that is like, who are the who are the great storytellers? Who are the people that can do that to you? Uh, a guy called Todd Snyder is, you know, my, my, my favourite. And he is, it was weird because I found his music on Spotify a long time ago. Um, in fact, it was the, the, when I first got Spotify, um, and I sort of, I'd had it for about a week and I was like kind of nervous about it. I was, I didn't, I was like, how do I, how do you control this thing? You know, like, it was like looking at the sea, you know, I was like, it's just endless. And how do you know what you like? So I got a big bag of weed and I was like, right, tonight I'm going to find out what music I really like. You know, I'm just going to get stuck in. And, uh, and I sort of ended on, on Todd Snyder with an album of his called, uh, happy to be here. And I loved it. And I just listened to it for ages and, and, and it was kind of, it was a long time ago. It was the beginning of Spotify. But it was, there wasn't much more information about him out there. And uh, and then in time, and I found a live uh, album that he did. And man, the guy fucking talks more than I do in his gigs. <laughs> like, and it was really weird because the band, the record is like a full band record, the, the, as mine would be. And then the, uh, you know, the live thing was just him and a guitar explaining a song for 10 minutes and then it being a three minute long song which is like is exactly what I do and it was just like wow and you know and became completely obsessed and it was great because 
the guy, he's still releasing music now, but he had, you know, it's been releasing since the 90s. So there was a whole treasure trove of kind of back catalogue to get stuck into. And, and I kept going back to the stories and the live versions and his book. I mean, he wrote a book called um, I Never Met a Story I Didn't Like. And that is, I mean, I've written a book that is basically my version of the Todd Snyder book, in all fairness, you know. And it was, it's just his, his manner um, is, you know, he's lived a life. And he's kind of, I don't know, he's a, he's a kind of a stoner and sort of self-deprecating, but he's just sort of like clever. And it, yeah, it's just, you know, his stories aren't necessarily like Holly Williams. You know, it's not sort of like conjuring up this beautiful thing. It's more just sort of like funny shit that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in and around making music and, and he's a real master. And one of and the other person who would be the master is John Prine, who's another great folk singer who tragically died this year. And and it, uh, Todd's he was kind of mentor to Todd Snyder. Again, right. I found that out through the, through the book. He was signed to his label and stuff like that. And John Prine again, he didn't talk so much, but when he t- when he'd tell a little story, but it would stay with you forever, mm-hmm. you know. Just and. Yeah, I think it's um, it's something that kind of goes hand in hand with folk music, really, I'd like to think. Um, and I think it's also the odd time, if someone does it a lot, like Todd Snyder, you can find a record, like a live record, where they'll tell the stories. It's very hard to get them to translate onto record. It is something, listening to someone tell a story live is fascinating, you know, or if a story is in a song, it's fascinating. But if someone's literally... I, you know, I've I've recorded live gigs and I listen back to two seconds. It's like, any mind if I tell a story? And then it's like the minute I start, I'm like, fucking hell, we're not listening to that back. You know, it's, it just takes there's something that you, it, it's good because you can't replicate it on, on record. You yeah. need to be there in order to kind of to tap into it. So, yeah, John Prine, Todd Snyder. And, and, and at the same time, my favourite writer is Tom Robbins. Uh, and, yeah, you know, nice. And... And he, you know, he can tell a story like nobody. And I I enjoy his books. If there was a graph, if you know what I mean, like I enjoy reading books, but you wouldn't really see any of the other authors on on the graph because I've read all his books. Quite embarrassing, like six times. If I if I read a couple of books I don't like, I'll go back to Tom Robbins to kind of top me back up. Yeah, exactly that. And it's and I always I I always think I can't really read this again. I've read it four times, and then I just first page, and I'm like, oh yeah, I can. Yeah, there's loads I've forgotten, and I just it's one of the blessings of being forgetful is rereading your (laughs) favourite books. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I named my cat Bingo Pajama from uh, Yes Perfume. So yeah, <laughs> it's as well, like a joy, such a joy of a book from like start to finish. Oh yeah, have you read it, many of his others? I, I've read a couple. So I lived in the states for uh, about five years. So like, okay, he, he sort of came into my world on a fairly regular occurrence. But uh, that right. that's the one that's really really stuck with me. Uh, yeah, Jitterbug Perfume, incredible. Yeah, incredible. Nice. Um, the, uh, I wanted to add, uh, in terms of sort of storytellers, uh, Guy Clark. Is, oh, um, wow. Yeah. Goodness. I, I have heard his, I, I've heard about him on the day he died. And it was like, dr- I was doing this big drive to and from Herefordshire twice. Uh, and it was, you know, it took me all day and then some. And uh, just on right. the, the first drive out, uh, the guy said, oh, yeah, and this is, you know, Guy Clark and he's just died. And this is uh, the Randall Knife. 
Do you know that one? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, of course. Yeah, about his dad's knife. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness. Again, like, you know, like, hit me so hard. And, like, I felt so, like, so many emotions during it. And, like, utter grief. And Yeah, some of his best work was his last work as well, Guy Clark, which is, you know, that I remember when he died as well. I was, I was, we was on tour with a... Uh, um, my friend Sky Smead, who's an American songwriter, was was over, and we was in Cheltenham, I think. And uh, you know, he got the news. It was like Guy Clark, you know, Guy Clark died, and I was like, "Fuck!" And I sort of almost stupidly said to the American country, "I was like, do you know any Guy Clark songs?" And he's like, "I know every Guy Clark song." So we we settled on a. Um, uh, what's, I don't know what the song's called. Give me just one more puff of that worry be gone. And uh, like, so we covered that for the rest of the tour. And uh, and it did us wonders because it meant we scored weed every night as well. So it's like <laughs> Guy Clark was still giving. Thanks, Guy. Still, yeah, thanks, Guy. But in all fairness, I you know I knew it's I I knew a handful of his songs, but it was from that tour from when he died it is a strange thing how you get drawn back into people's mm. music after their death because of uh um well i don't know because it just makes you think about it, does it and i think also when a lot of people that you really respect turn around and say what a tragedy what a brilliant songwriter what a brilliant storyteller then you kind of look at them but uh, up from from that yeah it was definitely you know i've always loved guy clark but i got into him a lot more around that same time yeah. as well. And and it was like, yeah, his last album. I think a lot of people have done it recently, haven't they? With like Bowie and uh, Leonard Cohen and stuff. Their last album has definitely been, and John Prine as well, has definitely been like a I Know I'm Gonna Die album. Yeah. like I mean, John Prine's last song on his last album was called When I Get to Heaven. Like, and it was like, I'm going to smoke a big cigar and like dance like I've never danced before. Or like and it's like, and the Guy Clark album is, you know, I think it was, it was his biggest album in his, you know, like very long career and stuff like that. It's just like, and there's, I think that, you know, they're such masters then people, you know, the Guy Clarks and the Leonard Cohen's. What a, you could tell by their poetry that they were so in tune with the ways of the world and themselves mm-hmm. to actually even know to, you know, to do your swan song and to be like, this is, this is, I'm going to write an album. And then that's me done, you know, like, um, but see, see you later. What an amazing thing to do. I don't think Dylan's last was his, uh, was his swan song now. I feel like he'll be going for it. Cause I was like, Dylan's got a new album. Oh no, maybe he's, <laughs> he's done the thing. He's, he's done the thing. <laughs> but uh, I reckon he's got a couple more in him. Yeah. <laughs> just to piss everybody off. <laughs> Um, is there anyone that you think uh, like is really sort of current that's uh, that's really speaking the I don't know speaking on, the story speaking the, the on the on the storytelling vibe? I mean, normally I'd have a long list of of people to new music to talk to you about because I would have been at however many festivals over the course of the summer. But oh. I feel like I've uh, become. Um, you know, I just haven't seen much much music at all, and the stuff that I'm, I mean, music that I'm listening to at the moment is very much on the you know, American stuff on the country vibe. There's a guy called Gabe Lee uh, from in Nashville that's really good, and uh, Brent Cobb is also really really nice. Um, I'm sure both of them could probably spin a good yarn in between their songs, but you don't know, you won't know that for sure. Um, but 
You know, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who I would, uh, as far as story stuff, it's going to be, I'm just going to be falling asleep tonight and I'm going to be like, fuck, that's who, you know. Yeah. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's someone and I'm sort of discrediting people. But yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely miss that this year, you know, yeah. sort of spending the summer watching and listening. Definitely. Like I found it really difficult to discover new music and I've like why I love listening to your playlist because I suddenly like, oh, you know, research that person find that person follow right. follow that little avenue it's like suddenly there's a whole whole new world of of things like, it should it's weird because it should be really easy and yeah. i feel i'm so critical now that i'm like i'm i'm i mean i was in a relationship by the time tinder started which you know i kind of you know i've done it vicariously but now i kind of do it on fucking spotify i'm like no 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 <laughs> like, I, I, I do when i find something that i love i know you know, and I, but it's amazing how much I could just go, how quickly I can discredit someone's, you know, heart and soul that they've poured <laughs> in. And I'm like, no, shit. Opening chord. Move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to ask, because I sort of know the answer to this, I was going to ask what, mm-hmm. uh, what is influencing you uh, sort of book wise? It is um, what well, is in reading books or mm. writing books? Oh, well, both, yeah. Oh, well, reading books is I'm halfway through the Nick Hayes book, which is like I said, you know, yeah. So when you, when you emailed through, I was like, I listened to this podcast just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I found, I heard the um, Nick Hayes on the RSL podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is. Um, Fuck, is it RSL? Uh, Bridges to the Future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and that's been a real source of optimism and kind of like it's like intelligent optimism amongst the coronavirus, basically. They've been speaking to a lot of authors um and people with big ideas for the future, basically, is the idea of the podcast. And uh I heard Nick on there and instantly got his book and then you know listened to the podcast he was on with you and a bunch of other stuff. And I haven't done any trespassing yet, but I can't wait to get going. Um, and it just, I, I, again, it's really hopeful. I mm. think, and it's like, it's like, it's talking about, it's, it's quite a simple fix for massive problems, which are quite hard to come by. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I think that it just really, it was like, and it was good. It's kind of good to hone in on specific things as well, rather than standing there and being watched like, oh, the world's fucked. Well, right. It's just like, well, we can fix this by doing this. And this is just like so unfair. And it's just, why do we, and I've never questioned it. No. You know, like, and I grew up in Essex and yeah, there was loads of, you know, we, again, we'd run away from people if we weren't allowed to, to be placed and it's just like yeah so I've definitely I've got like, like I said my daughter's only two but I'll be throwing her over the walls <laughs> in we go <laughs> let's have a jolly trespass and, uh, yeah exactly and uh, and I hope more you know I hope the book inspires more people too and 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 just to question that level of of authority as well I'm sure they will and another um book and writer that i took from the same bridges to the future podcast is a uh, rutger bergman okay um and a book called human kindness and normally i'm much more of a uh i like novels you know and if i'm reading i like tom robbins or you know um jennifer egan or something like that and uh but 
during, I don't know, during lockdown and I, I, Yuval Noah Harari, I read his books and was like, they really blew my mind. And I was sort of wanting, during lockdown, reading a bit more and sort of wanting a bit more of that kind of like some ideas. And Rutger Bergman is like a Dutch historian who, you know, explains in a very simple way that humans are actually really nice. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and uh, you know, and it's just, we just convinced each other that we're horrible. Like, and we're not. We're really nice. And it's, and, and again, it's a simple fix. And it's, you know, he doesn't just, he's a bit, he's a kind of passionate um, campaigner for universal basic income. Mm-hmm. And he wrote one book on that called Utopia for Realists. And then the new one, Humankind, it, it sort of one backs up the other. It's just like, people are good. Let them be good, you know. Give them what they need to be creative and friendly and, you know, independent and people will, the majority of people will will behave accordingly. Um, Not not even behave accordingly, you know, we'll do what's, you know, we'll we'll just be nice, basically. And and again, it's another simple fix for big problems. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Nick Hayes and uh, and Rutger Bergman, which I hope I'm pronouncing right, um, have been great books for me during this period. I've uh, so I've uh, I've just been on a, a three week uh, cycle trip around the southwest, and my whole thing was you know I'm going to wild camp, I'm going to trespass wherever wherever I see fit. I'm you know uh, I think you know this this landscape is ours and uh, and we should take it. And then uh, yeah, and so I, quite often I, it was great. Just absolute, like immerse myself in nature. I saw the sunrise and the sunset every day for three weeks. You know, uh, just just noticing of feeling the the shortening of time, uh, like the shortening of, of right. Yeah, uh, lovely time to do it. So yeah. so incredible. Um, but all the every time when I was going to sleep, I was like, you know, having these conversations in my head, like, what if I someone came and found me now? Like, what would what would I be saying? And I had all these like. Sometimes I slept on National Trust land, and I had like in my arsenal like well octavia hill who started the national trust she, right. she believed that uh you know it, it was formed so that people from the city like i am can get out and experience nature uh but the truth is i found absolutely no one and right okay i wonder whether you would have would have because i feel like uh, you know in situations like that is what you think you're gonna say and then it's like oh okay i'm sorry oh, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's coming down like, yeah <laughs> i would have said all the things afterwards in <laughs> yeah but I, I, oh, that's it just pro- didn't see anybody yeah it just proved that you know for anyone that says the country isn't big enough yeah you know, we live on a small island uh yeah it can't work that's absolute bollocks it's i mean yeah and that's why i get next is such a great thing isn't it it's just explaining you know the just get out there you know and it's again it's got it's so you know it's so good for your head people seem to have real you know there's, you know, there's a huge problem with how the way people are worried and thinking and, you know, and it's like, and it sounds naive to say it, you know, that like, I'll, I'll go for a walk. Like, I don't want to be, I've never, I've never actually come up against, you know, sort of personal sort of mental health battles. So I, and that doesn't mean I'm not sympathetic to it. And I don't want to be the like, just go out and have a walk. I know that there's a lot more to it than that. But on, still on a mass scale, it seems like we might as well fucking try it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I guess, I mean, I was going to uh, ask you sort of as a, a last question, like what's your top tip for saving the world? Fucking hell. You're, not, you're going in deep today. I mean, well, I mean, you know, 
be nice. Yeah. If everybody did that, I suppose you could go deeper and say what is nice. But I think really, I again, going back to Rutger Bergman, I think everybody knows what that is. And if everybody was nice to themselves, the people they meet and the planet they live on. Sounds naive, but might be true. I like it. Dun, 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 dun. You've been listening to... <laughs> Nice. Can we get a song? Is that all right? Yes, we can. I'll have to take my headphones off yeah. so you won't be able to, uh, I won't be able to hear you. That's right. But um, I'll do the song that I was talking about, the kind of, um, uh, the end of lockdown. The end of lockdown part one. <laughs> that was. <laughs> all right, two six. Try to be patient, try to keep your cool It's affected everybody, not just you Not just me, not just us Times have changed for all of us As we emerge into a world full of rules and regulations Hand sanitizer and one-way systems Confusing messaging and nervous sneezes When there's still nobody to believe in Remember that patience is a virtue And that manners come for free And what really makes the world go round Is generosity And everybody knows that everything's changed But the fundamental things have stayed the same Surely we can still tell good from bad Right from wrong and happy from sad And wherever you are when you're out on the street Be good to the people that you meet And tell them that patience is a virtue And that manners come for free and what really makes the world go round is generosity But it's just a passing thought for this collection of ditties Written on the fly in 2020 A year that everybody would soon and forget But will no doubt leave its mark on the history books Not the books exist anymore that's just a metaphor Well, maybe some good can come of this Hidden underneath all of that tragic shit Didn't we know the world needed a shake-up? This is your chance now Go out and get some And tell them that patience is a virtue And that manners come for free and what really makes the world go round is generosity And what really makes the world go round is generosity Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Massive thanks to Jay, uh, Beans on Toast. He was a great guest and ran with some of the probably slightly strange questions I threw him. He's got two new albums out, as mentioned, on December 1st, and you can pre-order those at beansontoastmusic.com. So I want to tell you a little bit about my cycling trip. I'll try and keep this brief. So I just got back. It was three weeks of cycling, and I set out really on a quest to immerse myself in nature. Um, I didn't really have a route or a plan at all. And all I knew was that it was going to be three weeks, me, my bike and nature. So a big part of this was my accommodation choice. So I decided I was going to bivy bag wherever possible. And I had a backup of a camping hammock. I'd also decided I was going to wild camp everywhere. Um, And why did I choose the sort of bivy wild camp uh, option partly it was the cost as regular listeners will know i've gone down to four days a week uh, to spend more time on this podcast so money is pretty tight so to have three weeks holiday paying for hostels and campsites would have cost a lot um, and i needed to take that holiday because that's what you do in a nine-to-five job which is very new to me it's quite wonderful um so why why did I choose the bivy? Um, well, before that, what is a bivy bag? For anyone that doesn't know, it's essentially a little waterproof jacket for your sleeping bag. Um, and you put your sleeping bag on the inside and then it's just like a little little sort of cocoon. And it leaves your, your face out into nature. The, the joy of that is it's quick to set up and take down uh, and it's already very, very sort of low profile. So I could set up as the as the, the sun was setting and it was getting dark and then I could be packed up and gone by the time the uh, the sun was up again it's big big draw for me though is that there's no barrier between you and nature so even with a tent i think as soon as you do up that that zip behind you you've closed yourself off and you're in this uh, your own little indoor space uh, your sort of temporary indoor space and yeah there's a separation between you and your environment with a bivy bag your your face remains outside for the whole night uh, and you can feel the breeze on your face as you sleep which is something pretty wonderful and you can also on a clear night the stars every time you wake up the stars have rotated slightly above you and it's a pretty magical thing actually um so i wanted to bivy bag for that reason and also sort of avoiding commercial campsites i don't knock them in any way i think up until this year i would have been at them but i feel like they're essentially just a little replica suburb uh you know with sort of streets and street lights and temporary houses as i say i'm not knocking them at all but uh for this trip i just wanted to to really indulge in nature and the bivy bag really allowed that i got could get right into it 
I slept on clifftops, beaches, uh, down river estuaries, in woodlands, in fields. Yeah, I, I really wasn't sort of tethered to uh, to one particular type of, of place. And I truly feel utterly refreshed for it. To experience real nature and not some sort of commercialised, watered-down version of it, um, it, it's really reset me in a way that I haven't experienced before. And I realised, as I was uh, out and about, that I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for Steve Tomlins, uh, who is a very good green woodworker craftsman. I did a course with him a few years ago where he slept in a bivy bag in the field and he was talking about it, you know, it was just, it was very matter-of-fact about it. But before then, it hadn't hadn't really occurred to me that it was even an option. Um, and so I obviously sat in my brain for a little while. And um, and now it's been the, the basis of this, this whole trip. And so when I realised that, I vowed to, to pass that inspiration on to you. Um, I hope that you too will get out into to nature, like into real nature. With the, the last thing, I guess, with the the accommodation was uh, the question that people most most commonly asked is aren't you afraid of axe wielding maniacs sort of roaming the night and again i realized as i was camping one night i'm the maniac everyone else is at home indoors in bed uh and it's me that's that's out there in the middle of nowhere uh and in fact i had an axe uh i'm a spoon carver of course i had an axe uh so yeah if I'm the, the the weirdest out there, then I think it feels pretty safe. That's not to say that you know safety precautions shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be taken, but uh, yeah, I feel like the the sort of imagined risk is actually a lot lower than uh, than the the sort of what we fear. Um, so yeah, I got to see incredible scenery, wonderful old buildings. Uh, I ended up going down the down the southwest, sort of around the coastline. And yeah, so I saw lots and lots of of earth buildings, uh, thatch buildings, like the quintessential uh, classic vernacular building style. Um, And then also I got to feel the the joys of cycling for long periods of time. And I felt my body grow stronger over the three weeks and really loved conquering hills. Uh, It went from kind of, you know, being quite adverse to hills why would you want to cycle up a hill to actually really uh appreciating it and and loving the challenge the final thing i wanted to say was just a couple of stats i rode 760 miles in 16 riding days and i ascended just less than twice the height of everest and if i'd have done the same journey in my car i would have produced a third of a ton of co2 so i guess it's yeah, a different way to travel. Maybe it's a, a way you haven't considered. But looking at, at sustainability with travel, then uh, getting on your bike is an excellent option. Okay, that's it. Get out there and enjoy. Um, if you're new here and you've enjoyed this, uh, subscribe. Check out previous episodes. Loads of interesting people, especially the Nick Hayes episode that uh, we talk about in this one uh patreon if you want to support the podcast uh, it's greatly greatly appreciated uh, get yourself a spoon uh yeah be wonderful and the final thing be nice might just save the world 
Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.